a Lifetime original podcast. Why is it that during Black History Month, I feel like the black folks be working the hardest? The audacity. We got to come up with the topics. Mm-hmm. We got to figure out the people that we're pulling in. Mm-hmm. I'm tired, boss. I'm so tired. I'm so I'm tired. So tired. <laughs> black History Month from now on should be a month off for black folks. Pass the torch. <laughs> Hey y'all, welcome to The Table is Ours, the podcast where we talk about all things black. That's black innovation, black fashion, and ooh, you know we love some black style. With me today is my gorgeous vacation-ready co-host, Amira Lawali. I can't wait. (laughs) Hey (laughs) y'all. And if Amira were a fashion designer, she would design... You need to tell me because you know I got I you, sis. Struggle. I listen, okay? I am an active listener. Mm-hmm. And if Amira were a fashion designer, she would design fire one piece rompers mic drop. <gasps> You're welcome. I feel very seen. That is something that that is a note that only someone who has known me for a while can pick up on. So we're officially a wild friend. We're officially a wild friend. Because that's like, I love, I don't, give me a good romper. They look Ooh. so good on you. And they're just. I love it. The only thing that they're not functional in is when you have to pee. Exactly. It's horrible. Like, why do I have to be so butt naked in a stall just to go <gasps> to the Brooklyn, restroom? In Brooklyn, at a club at 3 a.m. Yes. Oh, it's but, the worst. like, in terms of style, they look really cute. They're very comfortable. And I think if you had to be a designer, that's what you would design. I appreciate that. I feel seen. <laughs> and you guys already know who this is. It is my stunning co-host, Kirby Dixon. Pew, 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 pew. feel like I haven't given you <laughs> pew, 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 pew in a in while. In a while. <laughs> in a very long while. Okay. And if Kirby were a fashion designer, she designed. Okay, I know what this is. I I know what you would give do. it to me. But it's a mix between two, and I I think we had this discussion a few months ago because I was like, I don't get this type of clothing because it just does not work for me. But it, baby, it always works for you. You always look top of the line in this, and that is that like street wear athleisure like you can pull it off so well you know what it is it's cool girl energy Ooh, like you have cool girl energy so you're like a street wear athleisure like it's it's a certain type of person who can do it and it's you Ooh, i will take that you know what's so funny that it's so wrong though because when we were back in the office we were the only ones who dressed up yeah, so that's right. not what i see you all the time as i just think you're cool enough to do this let me be clear i appreciate <laughs> you i so appreciate you actually yeah what a time man we used to dress up in the office oh my god yep only ones full dresses i used to literally try to find things to wear the night before Boots heels <laughs> yeah wow wow a blast from the past yeah. But I totally appreciate you. I, I think my style is probably a mix between comfort and functional, but I'll take it in a cool way. I like quirky pieces. I like things that are a little bit out of the norm. So I appreciate you. That's why Ivy Park had me for as long as they did, but I am released. Yeah. I am released. Every single drop, you know who's there? Kirby. Every drop. I am every, every drop. I have not purchased an item <laughs> the past few drops, and my bank account says thank you. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I know I talked that talk in the beginning of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> However, we will really honor do. Black History Month. We will respect Black History Month. We are proud of Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And since we are coming to the end of Black History Month, although Black History is all year long, do not forget all it, year long, baby. All the time. Let's talk about those folks, those artists, those iconic actors that we would like to honor for their Black swag and their Black shine this month. Amira, if there was somebody in culture that you think is a fashion icon that we should lift up for Black History Month, who would it be? Mm, okay, fashion. Who are my fashion girlies? Oh, there's so many. There's so many. Oh, duh. Rihanna. Duh. Oh, my God. Okay, can we talk about this for a second? Ooh. How she is elevating maternity wear to a totally different level? Yes. I was going to say the same thing, girl. She looks Good with the tea at the end. Oh my gosh. She, I think, you know what's, you know what's also so beautiful about it? She, it I think she only told us she was pregnant so that she can get her fits off. Like, I agree. <laughs> she, she just wanted to be able to wear what she wanted to wear. And she looks so happy and excited and embracing her maternity mm-hmm. body that it shows and how good her looks have been recently. Yes. I totally agree with that. And Rihanna, for me, 
pregnant Rihanna. Sometimes, you know, you see people and they go through the journey of motherhood and pregnancy and it doesn't look like a walk in the park. And then you see (laughs) other folks who look like they're really enjoying and literally glowing as a result of building this human Rihanna is it Rihanna glows on a normal basis, but there's a different type of glow and energy she has right now. And I totally agree. Like her maternity wear is just no one else could pull that off but Rihanna. She wore like a beaded number. It was like a little genie in the bottle. And I was like, you look amazing. Yes. She looks amazing. You could tell she feels amazing. And you can just tell she is yeah. like happy. So happy. And we love that for Bad Girl Riri. We love it. So good. I'm with you. Um, Who would be yours? Who is your style inspiration for this Black History Month? Oh, my God. Okay. This is easy. Mm-hmm. And it's not because who we are talking to today. But since you took Rihanna, and there are a lot of fashion girlies, as you said, we could point out. But I have to go with red carpet mic drop shardy Zendaya. She slays yep. every single time. It is something about that left leg, honey. <laughs> That just works the red carpet. It's her height. It's her, but even most importantly, it's her energy when she walks on the carpet. She walks with such confidence, such poise. You can tell that the relationship she has with fashion and with clothes is just a really healthy one. Like I always look forward to seeing what Zendaya is wearing on the red carpet. I love it because I also feel like it's her. Mm -hmm. Like it, it feels very her. She feels very comfortable. It's beautiful to see. And it always tells a story. Mm-hmm. I love a little story. Give me a little tea. Yes. And you've kind of watched her grow on the red carpet throughout the past couple of years or throughout, throughout the decades, I guess. Like she's really kind of come into her own. You can see her getting a lot more bold in what she's wearing. She'll mm-hmm. show a little bit more skin. Girl, if I had that figure, best believe you could put me in anything you wanted to. I would strut that carpet. So that's the fashion girly I'm lifting up for Black History Month. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And I think is so great about Zendaya is that she is very open about her fashion journey and who has inspired it and who has walked hand in hand with her in it. Hand in hand. And that is our special guest today. Ugh. Our special guest. Let them know, girl. Let them know. Let them know. <laughs> La Roach. Pew, 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 pew. Air horn coming back. What? <laughs> We're ending Black History Month with the Law Roach, the image architect, the person who gave Zendaya her style, her swag, her grace, her attitude. I'm so excited. Law Roach. Matter of fact, the Law Roach the. is a self-made image architect and fashion designer known for styling the stars on and off the red carpet and as an unapologetic host of the HBO competition show Legendary. Law has created innovative looks for actors and entertainers like Ariana Grande, Celine Dion, and CFDA's 2021 Fashion Icon Award winner, Zendaya. And as if that weren't enough, Law is now the co-creative and director of the clothing and shoe line, Dea by Zendaya. We love to see it. Law also shared with us how his designs will always reflect his Black identity and hometown of Chicago. He gets honest and real about the fashion industry and talks about the strides he's taking to push the boundaries of fashion in Hollywood for Black women. Plus, he tells us how he and Zendaya grew in the industry together and how they continue to break the mold today. Law Roach, let's get it. We are so excited to have you. This is such an honor. It is such an honor. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. We like to start the podcast off with the same question every week. As we honor our Black faves, what is something that brought you joy this week? This week? Oof. Well, I had a really good lunch (laughs) about 20 minutes ago. I actually tried this this restaurant. I'm in New York now, and I tried this restaurant. I had a a business meeting there, and um, the dish I ordered, 
I just ordered because I'm like, I know I'll like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I ended up loving it. And so Ooh. I couldn't wait to... I flew back to New York last night and I'm like, after this thing, I'm going to have that meal. Okay, what is that? So I, just, I was at this Mediterranean restaurant and it's really simple and it was just chicken frites. And so it was like just really juicy, thinly sliced chicken breast with like some type of lemony sauce and mm -hmm. really good French fries. And um, they did something to this tomato and it has tzatziki on top of it. But it's all so simple, felt so clean and just easy. So yeah, me having time to get that again I guess that brought me joy. <laughs> yes. Mediterranean food is so good. It is one of my favorites. And I hear you because I think working from home, we're so go, go, go all the time Yeah, that I don't even get time to sit down and eat sometimes. So I can understand that bringing you joy this week. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's like the simplest thing, but food has that power, right? Yes. It really does. You know, make us feel a certain type of way. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Now I'm hungry. I know, right? <laughs> but to say this is an honor is an understatement. You are such a staple for us in so many different ways. And I do want to start from the very, very beginning and knowing that you grew up in Chicago. As an image architect, in what ways did growing up in Chicago influence your style? And where does it show up in your artistry? Yeah, I think it shows up in my everything. Michelle Obama has a quote, of, I don't know the specific word she used, but basically it was saying a lot or all of who she is has something to do with her growing up on South Side of Chicago. I don't remember the exact mm -hmm. words, but I feel the same way. It's a, a town of fashion and food. And it's also, I think, a town of hustlers and not yeah. hustlers in a negative way, but hustlers to the ideology that if you put your mind to it, anything can happen. Yeah, and yeah, so that's yeah. deep rooted in me. And I've always been that way. And um, that mixed with the law of attraction and, and, you know, speaking things into the universe, which is all kind of the same thing. I'm full of that. You know, that is my DNA. Yeah. That is who I am. And I think being raised on the South side of Chicago um, contributed to, to that way of thinking. And, and as a young, even as a young boy, you know, it's everything to me. <laughs> Mm -hmm. being from Chicago and having that upbringing is everything to me. I love that you're so passionate about Chicago because I feel the same way about Houston and Kirby yeah. feels the same way about Philly. It's just yeah. something about like repping where you're from and you're right. It's in every single thing that I do. It's in the yes. way I show up to meetings. It's the way I walk through these halls. Yeah. Like I couldn't imagine me from anywhere else and being who I am now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or being black. Being, I, I couldn't imagine being anything but black. Ever. <laughs> I could not imagine, nor would I want to be. Could you imagine? <laughs> no. no, it's like, and that's why we are who we are. And that's why we love the way we love and we love each other. You know, you just, you know, you just wait, you around, when you around us, you just like, I just love black people. You oh know what I mean? All our flaws and craziness. It's just like. I still love us. Yes. And while it is so funny because when we first started this podcast, a lot of times when people come to this room, they don't know what they're stepping into. They don't expect to have two black girls on the receiving end of the questions. And it, the relief that is felt <laughs> when people yeah. step into this room yeah. makes me feel so good. It's like, oh my God, there's no, there's no nerves. There's nothing. I'm just talking to one of us talking and having a great people. conversation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But talking about Chicago too, I want to ask like, what does like Chicago style look like and how do you kind of pull that into your art now? Well, I think the easiest way, so the negative part of hustling uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is, you know, I grew up, I grew up in really in the streets, right? So I grew up around, you know, hustler hustlers, you know, drug dealers and that yeah. whole swag of being flashy and talking about what you're wearing and, mm -hmm. you know, that stunting type of mentality. I grew up around that. So that also made fashion really important and, and, and getting to a place where you can have access to high-end things and things that you really want just was something that was ingrained. Like, oh, one day I'll be able to wear this or I'll be able to afford to buy that. You know, so I think that that's the whole thing. And also taking back a generation before that or two generations before that, it was like the whole pimp culture right and so it was the the gator shoes and and the finesse and this term you know called peacocking which meant being flamboyant because we you know the in in the in nature the male peacock is the one with the, the beautiful, beautiful feathers and all that and he yeah, uses yeah. all that to attract the women so that flamboyant 
um, part of fashion. I think also I learned um, from being from Chicago and around certain men in my family and certain men in the neighborhood. So I think I took a little bit of that, you know, away from away with me as well. Oh, I love that. I love that. And how does that show up in your art now? My style and what I do with my girls is like we have moments, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not your you're not calling Law Roach if you want to just wear a simple black dress. You want to say something. You want right. to be seen. You want to be that peacock, you know? Yeah. You want to be on the carpet and be memorable and be the most talked about. And you also want to start conversations. You want, um, I believe in my work being polarizing. Like, I don't Absolutely. want everyone to love it. You know, if some people hate it and some people love it, but what's, what, what's going to happen in the middle is that there's going to be a conversation about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. You know, it's entertainment at the end of the day. You got to give people something to talk about and then something to dream about, you know? So that, you know, that helped create all that, that sensibility of, you know, wanting to be noticed. Yeah. And isn't that life? Some people love you. Some people hate you, but I'll promise you people are going to talk about you. So regardless. Love that. <laughs> So we're looking into kind of your career and you kind of have an unconventional entryway into this industry. And I love that because we do too. And I, I say that I scammed my way into this industry. It's not for everybody, but I genuinely faked it time I did. And that's how I ended up here. Yeah. <laughs> Can you kind of share your path here? And how did you choose your path? For the most part, I'm just going to reference Chicago and just that hustler's mentality that you know, do what you got to do by any means necessary, fake it till mm-hmm. you make it, figure it out type of, you know, um, idea towards things. Fake it till you make it. Yes. yes. It gets you very far. It does. When mm-hmm. you just have to know how to sit in a room and be able to be confident and to talk about yourself in a way and make people believe it. So, yeah, the untraditional part of it um, was that I've never assisted or worked for anyone for the most part, everything I learned, I learned trial and error. And um, mm-hmm. I think that was really, <laughs> yeah, I just, shit, hustled my way into it. <laughs> you know, one thing that I would do when I first started is that I had met some people and, you know, in New York and they would say, you know, are you local to New York? And at first I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, yeah, I'm local. You know, I had an idea what it meant in the back of my head, but it, yeah. it really, are you here? Are you available? Are you here? Are you in town? Like, we don't have to fly you in from somewhere else to work. So I would lie. And so people would call me like, hey, yeah, we um, we have this meeting at, you know, um, this record label tomorrow, like about this new artist. Could you come, you know, tomorrow at two? I'm like, sure. And I was in Chicago. I'm like, yes, right. I can be there tomorrow too. So, and I even got a New York number so I can, you know, really. Oh, that's, that's gay. That's good. Yeah. I yeah, didn't so do I that. Like, oh, yeah, my number is 646, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, so I was really basically lying I would do the same thing in LA so I would fly from Chicago to New York New York to LA and like take all these meetings and you know not always even getting a job but just being in the meetings and having an opportunity to talk about myself and impress people so that my name would be in conversations moving forward and so I did that I did that for a long time actually Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. love that (laughs) because Line is actually how I got my first internship in entertainment. It was like LA based and I like somehow that skipped my mind. So I just told them I was LA based until like I passed the interview and she offered. She's like, I was like, actually, can we push this like a semester until I'm in LA? And she said, yes. And I was like, wow, scamming gets you very far. (laughs) (laughs) It really does. It really does. Law, do you think that as a black male, was it more challenging for you to get your foot in the door? I mean, (laughs) Yes, of course. I worked in two industries, though. So, yes, just like any other industry in this world, it's always harder harder for us. We mm-hmm. always have to work 10 times harder and be 10 times better to be compared to somebody who's not as good. Yeah, even though <laughs> yeah. we are the culture shapers, the culture shifters, and the uh, trendsetters. But okay. Yes. So I've, I've always worked in Hollywood and music, mm-hmm. and music has always been more open-minded and easier right um hollywood not so not so much the landscape of hollywood is kind of still what it is when i started i always started seven almost eight years ago Mm -hmm. music has always been um i think more progressive in the way they think and the way they hire and 
you know, in music, if you fly, you fly. And like, you know, your cousin may be the rapper and you know what I mean? Like you just stop. Yep. So, that, so that part of it, I think has always been open more, you know, Hollywood is the, is, is where we have all these gatekeepers and people want to hire people who look like them and it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with talent. It's about nepotism or friendship or, you know, she's know. married to my brother and, or yeah. my dad was an agent. So this, you know what I mean? So it's like, so Hollywood is, is still, I think, very difficult to penetrate as a creative of color. Yeah, totally. Sometimes I look at credits and I was like, wow, how did your whole family tree <laughs> end up in this year credits? This is a safe space, right? Yeah. Oh, it's a safe space. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely a safe space. Right. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. There are people whose last names you're like, Oh, <laughs> that makes complete sense. That's how you got that title, or we're able to be elevated yeah. and accelerated. Yeah, it's nepotism, right? It's, it's, it's nepotism, and it's just—it's not in just entertainment. It's in every industry in, in yep. this country. This country was built on that. So, yep, exactly. Know, deny that, you know, and we can't be surprised that I'm saying it's like that in Hollywood. Of course, it is. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I do want to ask you about this terminology, image architect, though, because the moment we heard it, it paints a picture. It makes so much more sense to me than stylist. But I want to ask you how you kind of coined the terminology and what that means to you more than being called a stylist. Well, I'm a person that does a lot of self-reflection and starting off and just trying to really grasp what I thought I was doing and what space I would take up in this industry and in my business. I first, first I started to really deeply look at my process, right? And when I started to do that, I started to compare myself to an actual architect. So, you know, I get a new client, I go and research everything they've ever done or worn in every red carpet, every magazine shoot. And so that kind of reminded me of when an architect gets a job, you know, the first thing they kind of do is they survey the land, right? And if it's exactly, you know, so it's like this, it's that research that's number one. And then you, you build a blueprint. And so my blueprint is basically who, who my client is, who they want to be, um, what their fashion profile, what they, what, what they want that to be, how they want to elevate. So I build a blueprint for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you hire out the architect, you know, works with a, a, a contractor and the contractor brings in you know, somebody for plumbing and landscape. And for me, you know, that's, you know, that's hair and that's makeup and that's the gowns. And, you know, so everything that an architect would do for a structure or a building or whatever, I'm doing for someone's image. So Mm -hmm. when I put those side by side, it was so similar. So then I I began to call myself that. And then a few years ago, I actually trademarked the term. So I'm the only image architect in the world. Come on, trademark. That's yes. exactly what she, yes, that is exactly what she should have done. Yes. I love that. So yeah. Kirby and I hate the idea of being like stuck in a box, right? This podcast is actually us stepping out of the box. It's so different from our day jobs at A Plus C Networks. Mm-hmm. Kirby's in press. I'm in dev exec for Amy. Hosting this and creating this was like totally different, right? A different box, a different flex, a different tone. And you move different muscles. And sometimes yeah. the movement of muscles is a little scary. Mm-hmm. So our yeah. question for you is like, where did your confidence come to switch to different mediums, like from stylist to image architect to host and judge on shows? Well, I think that one thing I was really blessed with, I've just never been around growing up, at least somebody who wasn't confident. Like right. my one of my grandmothers was extremely beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And so she had this air of confidence because she was extremely beautiful. She knew mm-hmm. she was extremely beautiful, right? So I watched her and... And my mother had a confidence where she know that she can walk in a room and, and make people fall in love with her and make them give her things. You know, my mother yeah. could go to the grocery store with no money and walk out with a basket full of um, groceries. <laughs> yes. You know, she was like that. And so my grandma was like that. Then my uncles were like that. So it was like, I, I, and I'm just realizing this, like, as you asked that question, I've always been confident. You know, even when I was, I mean, like, I grew up clearly gay. With the last name Roach. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Not with a lot of money. Like, I had all these things against me. And I was a a child. So I had all these things against me. But I never felt not confident. Mm -hmm. You know, like... So so that's just a blessing. And I think 
now that I'm articulating that, I think that did come my family. Like one of the, the positive things that that came from that is that I've never been around anyone who really doubted themselves or openly doubted themselves. Like my uncles thought they were the most handsome man in the world. Or, <laughs> and, the and my mother, you know, my mother would fight anybody. Like, it's just like, yes. I, just, I think I was just raised by, by a group of people that, that always, uh, you know, display confidence. So I think that's why I got it yeah. from. I just discovered something. This is like therapy. Ooh, yes, I love we that. love that. <laughs> Amir and I talk about this a lot. We both come from very confident, strong, female-led families. Yes. So when you're talking about your grandmother and your uncles, I'm thinking the same thing. Like my grandmother being this beautiful person that even if she wasn't walked into a room and there's an air about her, like she got free things because of the confidence that she exuded. She walked in taking the world by storm, whether she could afford it or not, (laughs) whether um, she knew what she was doing or not. And my mom and even my dad exude the same level of confidence. And it wasn't something that I learned until later on in life. Right. I feel like I kind of grew up a little bit more timid, but in watching the examples of the people that I had around me, that's when Mm -hmm. I started to walk into the room like, Oh, I own this, whether I know what I'm doing or not. Um, so it just, it definitely talks or is a nod to the power in black families and why we need these examples around us. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh my God. I totally (laughs) took from you where you're saying, I'm like, yes, my grandma did the same thing. (laughs) You know, and as children, that's how we learn. We learn by watching and imitating. So all these things that that's why it's, it's, it's good to always have strong people, around children you know so they have something to look at and look towards and look forward to being i think yeah and it takes a village right even if it's not in your direct family having people around you that can help lead by example is really important stay tuned because when we come back law talks about the fashion icon awards and why he remains an advocate for black women in the business you won't want to miss it Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I want to talk about how activism meets art, how activism meets fashion, and how we feel like it's always kind of been an intertwined industry. But from your perspective, do you feel like the fashion space is becoming more inclusive? And how do you feel about conscious art as it comes to fashion, styling, design? Um... (laughs) (laughs) and i'm thinking of the met galley automatically to be honest like we we had some moments on the carpet yeah we did i definitely was involved in a a really beautiful moment at the met i have a hard time with saying that the fashion industry is becoming more inclusive Mm -hmm. i think the the fast fashion industry hit a point where their hands were tied and they had no other choice. Yes, that's it. You know, they they had no other choice. They had to to keep up the appearance as good people, right? Mm -hmm. Do I think that's really heartfelt and real? Yes. Do I think it's that for the majority? Absolutely not. You You know, I think... Yes. I think that people really start to see the power of what we bring and what we do and their hands were tied, right? So it's like... And then it became very performative a lot of it so yes. um with that being said those tie hands did did open up a lot of doors and give a lot of opportunities to black people will that remain who knows mm-hmm. just to be honest 
Well, I do want to talk to you quickly about like that moment at the Met Gala that you created and curated, though. What did that mean for you and how did that even come about? So I work really closely with Lewis Hamilton about his fashion and, you know, yes. all things fashion. So we were having a conversation about who he, he had got a number of invites to the Met Gala. And we were having a conversation um, about who he should go with. And I, you know, I just was like, I think that you should, you know, get your own table and take who you, who you want to go and wear what you want to wear. Mm-hmm. And so that led into a more in-depth conversation about what this table would mean. And, you know, Lewis is super busy. Like, you know, he's all around the world. He races, I think, nine months out of the year. And so he's laser focused on that. And so we had, and, and, and myself, him, and the rest of the team had started to have these conversations about what this table will look like and, and what should it be. And if you leave me or give me any leeway to do what I want, I want it always to be Black, you yes. know? So yes. I think I thought it would be a, a powerful statement if we did a, a table with with all black people and black people who are at the top of their industry or at the cusp of the coming, you know, really great at whatever field they at whatever field they're in. And we worked with Anna and Vogue to help pull designers and and so it started with the designers and then Lewis kind of let me kind of curate the table and you know we had some really amazing people at that table. And the, I think the most beautiful thing about it, it wasn't about us, any of us individually, not even Lewis. Like he didn't, he never said, this is my table and I'm Lewis Hamilton and I'm the mm-hmm. best, you know, Formula One race to ever live. And I'm this person. It was like, this is our table. And it's yes. here for us to elevate each other and love each other and, and be a beacon and an inspiration to other people who look like us or who want to be us in such a way. You know, you had Lewis Hamilton who's, undoubtedly changed the world in his sport um, yeah. myself who who hopefully people see me as a person that's open doors for other people who look like me to, to do what I do and you know we had Alton Mason who's undoubtedly the number one black supermodel who's changing mm-hmm. you know things in his field and Shakari Shakari the, the track star who you know, yes who, who we all fell in love with who become this came this cultural you know, um, kind of icon in her own way, and mm-hmm. um, and and Miles Jeffrey, who's an Olympic fencer, you know, gold medal, fit. and it's just like all these things and all these. So I always like to say that the, the 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 whole was greater than the sum of the parts, and we had a table right in the middle, so everybody's eyes were on us, and I feel like us being there and doing what we did shifted the energy of the Met Gala. It was it was just really a beautiful beautiful night. Yes. And I have been before, and and the Met seems like it goes so quick, but this night it was like that everything felt in slow motion, and oh, it was a lot of love in the room. And I like to think that what we did, what we did, played a huge part in that. Oh my God! Yeah, and pun intended, the table's ours. That's all I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, three three black male designers. You know, what I, mean? I think that was big, and. Mm-hmm. But it was like, it was nine men at the table. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like wow, yeah. nine black men at the table at the mat. So it was it was quite incredible. What a moment. Oh my god, So beautiful. And I didn't even realize that we had never seen like something, something like that at the Met until I saw the image and was watching in real time. You guys coming on the red carpet and taking that photo together. That was, it was a moment. It was a moment. Yeah. Congratulations to you all, for real. Thank you. Thank you. So you've mentioned before that sometimes designers don't like taking chances on who they consider smaller talent, which oftentimes ends up being black talent or talent that is a little more inclusive that they just won't. Who is Zendaya? That's yeah, that story that designers don't want to take a chance on a vision that they don't see and who that person will become. So how do you get around gatekeeping in this industry? Ooh, I love that word. That part, I think the industry has changed um, a lot. You know, there were there were a lot of designers that notoriously didn't just didn't dress black girls. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And when when I first started was the day I was unknown and she was a Disney girl. And back then, nobody really cared about Disney girls. Nobody really considered them real stars or someone to invest in. You know, mm-hmm. this was pre Miley when Miley became Miley and pre Selena. Ariana Grande. Selena, yeah. 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 So it wasn't, it just wasn't that, that's not what it was. So nobody would want to dress her, you know, and I was so naive. I'm like, but she's gorgeous and she's tall and, you know, she's all these things. 
and nobody cared. Like nobody cared. But I just kept beating down doors. And and what it forced me to do, which I'm so happy I had that experience, is it forced me to find, use, nurture, and build relationships with emerging designers. Mm-hmm. And also, my I came from the world of vintage, so a lot of things that she was wearing early in the days were vintage. And you know that gives, brings us to the whole discussion of sustainability and you know all those things. So that's something that we've been at the that has been in the forefront of our process for years now. You know, it's that's nothing new to us. Um, but yeah, it did that, and you know, and and you know, people wouldn't dress her, and people wouldn't lend me clothes, and. Um, I did a lot of little things when I figured out and, and got there. But, you know, to this day, she still hasn't worn, Zendaya hasn't worn a lot of the big designers that the gatekeepers tell you you have to, you have to be dressed by this person to be a fashion girl and all that. And, you know, yeah. she's been on the cover of almost every magazine and American Vogue twice. And Hello. Mm-hmm. British Vogue and you just won the Fashion Icon Award. And she still hasn't worn a bunch of those designers. So it's like... To come in and tear down that fallacy that you have to you have to do this and do things that are mainstream and, and all that stuff to to be looked at and sought after, it's a lie. Yeah, it's interesting, and I love that you kind of take that mentality on someone who's now this huge star like Zendaya because I feel like in New York specifically, a lot of the street style that you see in Brooklyn, even in mm-hmm. Harlem, it is not designer. People cannot afford that. It is thrifted. It's it is thrifted style. designer. So if you see something that you like, nine times out of 10, you're not going to be able to find it again. <laughs> That's the beauty about New York. But you know, there's there's a really um, infamous story about John Galliano talking to Memsor, who was the editor at like Vibe. He was the editor at Vibe, I believe. Yeah, yeah he, was at, he was a fashion editor at Vibe back in the you know, early 2000s. And the story is that Galliano called him and said, hey, I, I need to come and I need some inspiration. Can you take me around New York? And so Minnesota took him to Harlem. Mm. You know, so a lot of those, those collections are things that he saw in Harlem and things that, you know, he took as inspiration. And that's, you know, the whole streetwear and, and urban and all that. You know, so, so that's no surprise because they've always watched what we what we did yep. and they and they for a long time now we don't play that shit no more a long time they'll take it i was gonna say, and say that again name and mm-hmm. pretend like it's do you know what i mean um and they and they've done that for years and they've always we've always moved the needle and we've always created trends and not hardly ever gotten credit for it um but that part i think is changing because of social media now we have platforms where we can step up and say no 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 yeah those are not boxer braids. Those are <laughs> French braids, and we've been doing that for hundreds of years. You know, so yeah, it's like we've always been kind of copied and stolen from, and and the inspiration of so many different things. Um, yes. But I think now we are at a place where we are taking ownership in the things that that we own and create. Yeah. yeah, that reminds me. I went to the. I finally went to the African American Museum in DC a few weeks ago. And there's a whole style section and there's a big quote on the wall that just says style does not move without black people. And I was like, you damn right. Like every single <laughs> industry, it's music, style. Da. I was like, everything. Yeah. Yes. People. We are everything. <laughs> but I want to know, do you think that you're finally getting the credit that you deserve? Oh, uh, I think everybody else is finally think I'm getting the credit. <laughs> <laughs> but do Which you I, uh, feel that way? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've, had a, I've had an amazing year. You know, I'm, I've won a few awards, you know, yes, I do believe that. But I also, when me and Dad started working together, we also had this kind of pinky swear to each other that I would pour into her and do everything that I could do on my end to make her a superstar, right? Mm-hmm. And she would make sure that she took care of me and, and poured into me in her own way. And I think that we've kept that promise to each other she kept that promise to me and I kept that promise to her. And now, you know, I think it's time for me. These last couple of years, I've really had the opportunity to show more of me and, um, and, and kind of step from behind the curtain a little bit. And I think that I'm so flattered and humbled that people really like me and what I do and understand my contribution to not only Zendaya, but like every person I've ever worked with, you know, mm-hmm. whether I'm working with them or not, there is a still piece of, a piece of me that is, 
in them because there's a piece of them that I helped create. So um, yes, I'm very happy to be acknowledged because when I got in this industry, I wanted to be known as one of the best. You know, I had no idea how I was going to get there, but I'm like, I want my name to be mentioned in the conversations when people who do what I do and consider it to be one of the best. So I think that has, I think that's happening, hopefully. Yes, I think so too. I, d- I just wanted to ask to figure out what, how you felt about it. Cause yeah. you know, I think the relationship that you and Zendaya have is so beautiful. She calls you her fairy God brother, <laughs> but is it normal for clients and their stylists to have this type of relationship that you and Zendaya have, or is this really kind of off the cuff? And genuine. It feels so genuine. Well, it is genuine because I've been working with her since she was 13, turning 14 years old. Not only has it been fashion, but it's been, I've been around her. We've grown up with each other. Mentorship. Yeah. And we've been together for, I always say that I started my career when I moved to LA in 2014, Mm -hmm. but I had worked with her three years prior to that. You know, we were both doing small things and she would do small things, but I've watched her grow up, you know what I mean? Like I've been there for every moment of, you know, her teenage and adult life. So our relationship is different because of that. And, you know, we like, it used to be, it was me and her dad. Like we would go everywhere, all three of us go there. So it's like her around these two, two black men. And so the, you know how we are we're around people. We we part we we raise those kids. You yes. know what I mean? Like <laughs> you're part of the rearing of of you know, I consider myself being part of the rearing of this young black girl. So yeah. our relationship is I wouldn't say that we're friends. We we are more family than friends, and she's more my annoying little sister than anything else. <laughs> you know, and I, I, most times I'm like her annoying, even though I'm older than her, I could be her annoying little brother, you know. So it's like it's that part where it's, it's, it's past a friendship. You know, I don't think we ever had a friendship. You know, it's always been, she's my boss at the, at the end of it, the root of it. She's my boss. I'm her employee, but I am her big brother as she is my little sister on the opposite spectrum of that. Yeah. I love that. Cause I, I think that there's a safety and a home that comes with that. And I love that when we as black people can feel that in this industry, cause it's not always there. Yeah. yeah, like feeling home feels so nice. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's tr- it's tricky though. It's tricky with that, and I always try to tell people who who I mentor and I'm like like your client isn't your friend. Like you can mm-hmm. love them, you know, and you can care about them, and you can be friendly with them, but you always have to have to know that this is a business relationship, and you are there to provide a service. And if you get into this whole friend thing, that gets cloudy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never considered her my friend ever. Yeah. So now, now, you know, we, we're, we're family, you know, I've grown up with her around her, around her family, around her mom, her dad, her sisters, her nieces and nephews, um, everybody for the last decade. So, you know, it's, it's definitely more family. Yeah. Than friendship. Yeah. That brings me to a different question, because we do want to get to the incredible CFDA awards, but you're talking a little bit about relationships and like, no, relationships in the industry, which can feel so uh, cutthroat sometimes, feel disingenuine. And when I think about friendships and sisterhood, I think of Amira, right? Like I'm so blessed to have been able to find a sister in, in one of my colleagues at such an early part of my career. But what does kind of that black brotherhood and black sisterhood in your industry look like? And I'm specifically thinking of people like Jason Bolden, who I've seen you kind of do interviews with, like, is there that cutthroatness behind the scenes or is it kind of you guys looking out for one another all the time? Um, There is, there is a couple of us who I think, well, who I should say that there's a couple of us who I have relationships with. Right. You know, those genuine personal relationships where we can call each other and we can kind of vent about what's going on or give each other like inside information about things that's going on. And also have the respect, you know, that because the clients come and go, right? Like exactly. you don't own these people, they don't own you. And for any reason that relationship, you know, ends, like it's only what I do, it's only four of us, really, that's at the level of work that we're at. And I think that we should have some type of camaraderie and to be able to to talk to each other about things. And, you know, there are situations where you have a client and a client 
you know, leaves you in or you leave that client and they go to them like, and I have the relationship with Jason Bowden and Jason Rambert where we'll call each other and be like, hey, you know, I got a call from such and such. I just, out of respect, I I, want to let you know. But a lot of people don't move like that, you know. Yeah. A lot of people don't move like that. And that's fine too, you know, but I do have a lot of love and respect um, for both of them. And Jason Rubin has always been super supportive of my career and and my and me him and his career, you know. Um, and that feels like a real brotherhood, you know. Everybody don't really think that way. And it's like I, I just come from the school of thought that what's for me is for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and ain't nothing nobody could do about that. So and if something wasn't for me, it wasn't for me. It's just not for me. And and you find solace and gratitude that the universe moves things and shifts people out of your way that wasn't meant for you so if you think of it that way you're not it's never a loss right it's like that wasn't for me and 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 the universe moved that situation or that person you know out of my life so mm-hmm. it's like if you can't take something from me that was ordained for me <laughs> so yeah. try if you want but right yeah, if it's, and if you can then more power to you. It wasn't for me. Exactly. It wasn't I'm, for I'm, me. Really happy. I'm happy that way. Like if you lose a client and you sit around and you groping and, and doing all these things about this, that you don't own that person. And those person, those people are free to work with whoever they want to work with. And it's it's just the, the universe's way of opening another door and making room for something else, something exactly. greater. If you really believe it's always that. something bigger. Yeah. It's always something greater. Yeah. You take so much care of, and we've seen you take care of Zanaya and we love that you talked about that like brother sister relationship because it makes me feel safe. I love when I know other black people are taking care of the black people. If you can touch on the importance of why you take such care of like black women and representation in our industry, I think her image in particular is different because she's gone from she was a Disney girl and now she's a fashion girl. How is crafting that image of a black woman? Whew. Um I just think that black women are magnificent. I think being a woman is an art form and being a black woman is a more elevated art form, to be honest with you. And I I grew up with, you know, a single black mother and like I've always gravitated towards black women, you know, my best friends. And like, you know, I always just want to be around them. Um, and, and so I think it's my duty to 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 take care of black women. I think it's every black man's duty to take care of black women and to love them and protect them and whatever that means, you know, mm-hmm. um, with mine is like, I protect them and I wrap them in a, in a, a blanket or a shield of confidence and, and help them navigate through the world and, and do all the things that they have to do as these, you know, mega stars that I work with. It just takes me back to like growing up in the neighborhood I grew up in and seeing a black mother with, you know, a stroller with two babies in it, a baby on hip, a grocery bag, a gallon of milk. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. how strong are you? You know, and it's and and so those type of images, you know, um, just just stuck with stuck with me. And I also remember like being in a car with my uncles, and it's like snowstorms, and you and they'll see a woman outside on a bus stop with her babies, and and they'll stop and be like, "Can I give you a ride?" make sure she gets home safe and warm and so right. i've seen those times and have those images in my head that that to, to teach me that there's an importance and and having a certain um respect and 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 you know love and compassion and revering um black women so that just kind of stuck with me and i just do it my own way mm-hmm. i love this so much we do want to touch on this incredible honor that you and zendaya got at the cfda awards mm-hmm. and the beautiful speech that she gave kind of honoring you and literally thanking you for building her career. And this is not the first time she's honored you in this way, right? I think I was actually just listening to um, the 2016 InStyle Awards speech that she gave (laughs) as well. What does it feel like for you when you get recognized in big moments like that? You know, one thing about Zendaya, she's she's always spoke my name. Like always. And also always advocated for me and and helped to elevate my career and to open doors and give me opportunities. She's always fought for me to be there. Like, you know, huge opportunities would come her way. And she said, well, I'm not doing it unless he can, if, unless he's doing it with me. And, and now our, our names are kind of synonymous in the industry for that. And we've also built and built and have created a reference point for other Black stylists and their mm-hmm. or 
you know, have to get those same opportunities because now you can't say that that can't happen because now people can say, well, Law and Zendaya did it, you know, so you can't lie in my face and say it can't be done when it can. So I've seen a lot of other people benefit from our relationship. And I love that, you know, she's, she's always spoken my name and she's always gave me that recognition. Um, And, you know, it's so funny because years ago she was still young and somebody was like, oh, this person made you. And she was like, if anybody going to say they made me, it could be law. You know what I mean? It's like, hear her like give me that much credit. I was just blown away. But she's always spoken my name, and my and and I hers. You know, and and I'll continue, um, continue to do that. She's always let me know that she appreciates the work I put in, and and our relationship, and even the way pulling close for her. She referenced it as kind of like in a way of making a movie and director and you know star like. I write the story and she takes the script and she brings it to life. You know, I write mm. the story and the, and my words are the clothes and she takes, mm. she takes those words and she becomes whoever that story is that we created, whoever that girl is that's in that narrative. And, you know, that's been our relationship, you know, um, mine is to do that and hers is to do what she does when she puts it on to get out there. Yeah. That's what black sponsorship feels like to me. It's like those people that mention your name proudly and loudly in rooms, whether you're in there or not. And I love that. It feels like somebody that knows and sees your worth and is respectful of your career and your talents and makes sure that everyone else around them knows it. So I love that too. And even as a young girl, I think the most important thing she ever did for me is not let anyone take my power away. Mm. We would sit in these rooms with these powerful people and they and you know they would have a tendency to talk past me or talk over me and she would always she would always point them back or send them back to like well I think law had something to say law what do you think about that and so she made this young black girl at these tables with massive massive people and important suits and all that she would never let anyone take my power away ever it's amazing and for that I have always been and you know super grateful to her that means a lot, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's next for you? What can we look forward to? We are fans. <laughs> what's next? Uh, so what I've been talking about a lot and just trying to manifest and also get myself mentally ready is that mm-hmm. I really want a collaboration with, you know, something like H&M or um, a big box retailer to create something that I can give to people who like what I do that mm-hmm. can't necessarily afford me, but I want to do something for the people. You know, I want to, I want to create something that people can love, that they can afford and, and have a piece of me and have a piece of my energy, you know, cause I think when I create something, my energy is there. And then also just be, you know, another, something else for me to do that people like, shit, he did that. I can do that too. You know, yes. cause representation means a lot and we all know that. And I just want to continue to be inspirational to people as they tell me I am. And aspirational as well and just let people know like you can do whatever you want to do like it's really true so i want to do something that 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 brings me closer to the people basically something that people can actually go and get a piece of me yes manifest that on this podcast we love that well i don't want to get too messy but i do have a question for you how do you feel about like kind of these bigger celebrities now doing like fashion lines with these big companies i'm thinking kanye with gap Kim yeah. Kardashian with Skims, Beyonce yeah. with Adidas. Like, do you yeah. encourage that? Or is it kind of like, or do you think yeah. that should be left to the to the stylist and the image? No, no, no. Like I think that whoever they stylist, and if they're working on it, they should make sure that the stylist is paid fairly. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I don't know, you know, if they are or not, but I'm just saying that should be one, one requirement. And anytime you have an opportunity to elevate someone, within that world you should but i think that celebrity fashion thing has been around forever i think what's changed is that people really have to create a product that's good that people really want because just slapping your name on something that don't work no more i think it worked in the 90s when all uh, you know celebrity fashion brands were popping up and that's why we don't have many of them because it was just somebody putting their name on something so i totally agree with it you know I, i think and of course the people you named um, are iconic for that. You know, people can say what they want about the Kardashians, but they created a lifestyle and they also created a look that people want, want to be them. And what's so smart about Kim, in my opinion, she's created things that's are that's easily recreatable. Like she'll right. wear something and, 
you could go out and, and have that exact look for not a, the same amount of money that she paid for. And I think that's really smart, you know, heavy mm-hmm. to it. And she's also, you know, inspirational in her own way and aspirational. Um, and Kanye is Kanye, you know, Kanye, we've been looking <laughs> at Kanye for trends and fashion and swag for 20 plus years now. So, you know, um, I think when it's, when it's, when it makes sense, I think it's a great thing, honestly. Yeah, I agree. But you also touched on compensation in the fashion industry. Do you feel like stylists are now being compensated fairly for the work that you guys are putting in? Well, (laughs) I don't know. I know my own situation. Like, I don't play about my money. Mm -hmm. Like, I am a luxury good. I'm a luxury service. I am the Maybach. I am the Rolls Royce of. Yes, I love that. And I just, and I deserve, and I deserve to be compensated and paid that way. You know, I provide this. So that's why, that's why my name on Instagram is Luxury Law because when I, when I've always kept that name because I want to remind myself I am a luxury good, right? I am just like a high end chef or you know anything anybody else that provides the service at a, a high level. I am a very expensive spa. You know what I mean? Like I am. <laughs> I am a private jet. You know what I mean? So it's like I, I I am brought in to give my client a certain level of expertise and comfort and, and, and all those things. And I need to be compensated for that. And I won't do it unless I feel I am being compensated for that. Mm-hmm. Because if you could do what I do, you, you wouldn't have to hire anyone. Exactly. You would do it. But I also I also deliver a service that justifies my cost. You've got a fan in me for life law. I'm yeah. just saying. <laughs> I hope people are taking notes and listening. I am a luxury good. You have to build your value. First of all, you have to build yourself that you add value. And once you know that you can add value, you have to know what that value is. And you have to be confident enough to monetize that. Mm-hmm. I love this. <laughs> I'm going to quote you when I talk to HR. I am a luxury good. Yes. Okay. And I cannot be replicated or duplicated. You can try and replace me, but the service that I offer is unique to me. So get with it. And with my business, you can, it's not about the way I make my clients look. It's about the way I make them feel. So somebody can have me and pick a pretty pretty dress, but will they have that bedside manner or that touch to make them feel a certain type of way? That's what, for me, people can't replicate about me or duplicate about me. It's a lot of pretty clothes. It's a lot of pretty girls. It ain't that hard. It's everything else, you know, that can be duplicated. Law, is is compensation and talking about money and rates as taboo in the fashion industry as it is in the entertainment and television industry? It's not for me. I'm very, I'm very honest and open about the money I make because I think that's inspirational. And I think that Black kids need to, need to know that you could become a millionaire for other than being a rapper or a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. So, so you know, I've I've said and been quoted like I run a global multi-million dollar business. Mm-hmm. As a, okay. Very, I'm very proud of that, and I've afforded myself a certain lifestyle that I'm also very proud of. My home was just featured in Architectural Digest. I'm very proud of that. You know, so you know, I could I can go and shrink and 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 you know live a certain life and do it in private and quiet and not talk about it but i'm like if you think the reason why i'm talking about it is to be boastful or like that that's not it i'm talking about it because somebody who's watching me needs to hear it and needs to know it's possible you know i said in an interview about ad is that i never i never had a dream of being my house being in architectural digest i just wanted somewhere safe to lay my head yeah. you know so so that somebody else is going to hear that and they're going to understand that. And then now let them know, like, wow, if he can do it, this 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 black boy that lived in the projects on 63rd of Michigan in Chicago that grew up two floors down from Chief Keith and, you know, all these people, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like they can, they'll know they can do it, too. And they don't have to have these hoop dreams or, you know, or the music industry doesn't have to be their own, their, their, their only way to achieve it. It's a lot of ways to make money out here legally and safely and i think that we all need to step from behind the curtain and tell people like why not exactly uh every time we have conversations like these that are real and raw and honest with people that we look up to it just is a reminder to me and amira that this podcast matters and why pulling up seats for people like you to come to this table is so important thank Thank you you for that i appreciate it yeah i really when when my publicist asked me that one i was like absolutely 
Oh, my God. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So we have a game for you that Kirby came up with a very clever name. This girl's very clever, very witty. <laughs> um, it's called Laying Down the Law. So we have some fashion trends and myths, and you can just say yay or nay. Are they breaking the law? Are they following the law? How do you feel about mm. them? Okay. Okay. So the first one is, how do you feel about right after Labor Day? Are we breaking the law or are we laying down the law? Um, laying down the law. Wear whatever you want, whatever you want to wear. That's how I feel. I never understood I feel the same way. Yeah. yeah, I didn't get it either. <laughs> okay. Wearing Crocs outside as your footwear of choice. Can also be chic. So laying down a law, because Balenciaga has some really, really cool Crocs. I've seen them. <laughs> okay. And I went, through a whole, I went through a whole phase years back that all I wore was Crocs. Mm-hmm. But then I, I figured out that they were making my feet spread a little bit, and I couldn't fit in my real shoes anymore. <laughs> so I but I actually did wear Crocs to the airport last time. Oh, my God. <laughs> With See, a Chanel coat. In my Chanel coat, so. <laughs> yeah. See, I didn't know how I felt about Crocs, but I guess since you laid down the law and you said we should follow it, I guess yeah. I, I'm going to get me a pair. <laughs> okay, how do we feel about color blocking? We follow the law or we break the law? Uh, I love color blocking, so follow that. See, I'm going to be real kind of like, do because I, I really come from the mindset, like, do whatever, don't listen to people like me. Mm-hmm. Do whatever makes you happy and put on whatever makes you feel good. Because mm-hmm. as corny as it sounds, confidence is the most beautiful thing that we can put on. Yeah. So if something that's color block or multi-print or stripes or polka dots makes you feel good, then wear it. So yes, color blocking. And one of the things that was really integral to Zendaya and I's career is when I put her in this color block coat years ago when she was like 17 years old. Yes, it's I remember really, that look. Yeah. <laughs> so color block all day is laying down the law. All right. Mixing gold and silver jewelry. Love. Mm. Mixing metals. Adore. Okay, I like that. That's like an the old school mentality is like, no, yeah. if you're wearing gold earrings, you got to wear a gold necklace, a gold ankle yeah. chain. Yep. I'm like, we're past that. Let's mix it up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how do we feel about the oversized look? Oversized hoodies, shirts, pants, yay or nay? Um, Yay. I think it's a place for it. Mm-hmm. I think if it's, I think you shouldn't try to follow trends that just don't work for you. But if it, if it works for you, like sometimes I like to feel small in my clothes. So I like yes. to wear things like... You know, that's the thing, you know, um, and I, you know, I, I worked with Ariana Grande for many years and through our tenure, the oversized hoodie with the over the knee boots was like a thing that she made iconic, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we, we offer that too. I love that. Look, I love that. Um, like over the knee boot. I'm still yeah. on that trend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Crop tops for the masses. Yeah. We see a, yeah, we see a lot of men up in the crop top game I love now. it. I'm not going to yeah, lie. I think it's really cute. I, really, I do really like men in crop tops because that just goes back. You know, I'm, I always have a reference point for everything. And that goes back to like the 70s and 80s. And you mm-hmm. look at the concerts, the black men had on like high-waisted pants and the crop yes. top. You know, flares. I think it's sexy. I think, I it's, think cool. it's so cute. I do too. I, I love it. Yeah, a little, yeah. A little body moment. Show off the body. Yeah, I I think, you know, I really I, think that people should wear any and everything that you want to do you know mm-hmm. life i totally agree with you and the last one isn't a yay or nay but from the image architect law roach yes. what is one fashion trend that you think that we should all be hip to sooner rather than later outside of wearing your confidence loudly and proudly um a fashion trend a fashion trend a fashion trend that you should be hip to. so that means that's something coming right Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Or like, what are you seeing? Since you're talking to all like the the brands and the designers, yeah, and you, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, see, it's hard for me because I never, I never looked at myself as someone who kind of follows trends mm-hmm. um, or keeps up with them. Honestly, you know, I think they come and go. What I think isn't smart is not to spend all your money on trendy things. Hello, say it again. Mm-hmm. Don't spend all your money on trendy things. Like, get a a piece here and there, um, but also buy things that that if you're going to spend your money, spend money on things that can last forever, right? So make sure you have a beautiful coat. Like every woman needs a beautiful coat, you know, either that's a trench or, you know, some type of overcoat. Mm-hmm. Spend your money. If you're going to spend a lot of money, spend that or spend your money on a classic bag. Don't go get the trendy bag. Get you something that's classic that we know will stand the test of time. And, um, you know, every woman in, for me needs a, a black dress, you know, some type of, black dress that you can wear 
to a funeral or a wedding or a job interview, or you could dress up or dress down, throw something on top of it. So there's our staples that I think that, you know, every woman should have in her closet and that's what you spend money on. And do you get, you get the trendy things when you can, you know, you grab it when you can, or if you really, really love it, you know, but most of the trendy shit that we only wear one or two times anyway. So yeah, exactly. I hear that. I encourage everybody to wear vintage and buy vintage and learn about it. And by, you know, whatever attracts you, you know, start to, to buy that and, and wear things that somebody else wore, wear things that have a story attached to it, mm-hmm. you know? I think that part is really fun. And it also, it really helps you become a stylist because you get to kind of navigate and see what your era is or who's the designers that you looked at or, you know, even thrifty things that you don't know what the brands are. It's just cute. Yeah. Um, so that's really a trend. I think vintage is really a trend now, but I hope people um, keep up with that one. Yeah. My mom always says everything old becomes new again. So she encourages me always to look into her closet. She's like, shoulder pads, girl. I have so many <laughs> shirts <laughs> and blazers with shoulder pads. You need to go in my closet. Don't buy anything like Get that. Get in that so, closet. Yeah. Get in that closet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like we could literally talk to you forever. This has been so much we fun. Totally could. Thank you. I have we like to end the podcast the same way in some iteration of this line. My black is trend setting because. <laughs> my black is trend setting because I'm built for it tough. Mm. Oh, mm. I just, that was, oh, <laughs> very good. I felt that. Yes. Thank you so much. This has been such a treat and a joy. This has been so much fun. Yes. Well, I'm happy. Thank you so much, God. And we're so proud of you, Law. Keep doing what thank you're doing. Because so you are a trendsetter. I receive that love and I thank Everybody who tells me things like that and everybody who loves me, I, I feel it and I receive it and I and I charge my battery with that love. So please keep it coming. The Table is Ours is produced by us, Kirby Dixon and Amira Lawali. This episode was also produced by Aisha Jordan and edited by Myron Kaplan. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.